Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Views Our Own, a new podcast looking at journalism and the world of media. I'm your host Misha and I'm joined as always by the lovely Sophie. Hey guys! And today we're going to be talking about difficulties in the journalism industry and how Presspad can help with the creator Olivia Krellin. Hi guys! So Olivia is one of the founders of Presspad and she's also a journalist and filmmaker at the BBC. So Olivia, do you want to introduce yourself a bit more now and just talk a bit about your career, what you've gotten up to so far and what your passions within the media industry are? Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, Sophia and Misha. So I'm Olivia. I am a journalist at the BBC. That's my day job, so to speak. I work for World Television, um, BBC World, and that's the 24-7 international news channel. And I am a producer uh, often package reporter and a video journalist and filmmaker. The BBC is great because you often get to move around and work in different departments. So in the last five years since I've been staffed there, I've done everything from field producing in Tanzania and Kenya, filming uh, short documentaries in Kyrgyzstan of all places. I went out to Ecuador and filmed a half hour documentary about a transgender couple that had a baby all on my own. So it's really varied and alongside all of that exciting travel is also a lot of newsroom work, a lot of long 10-hour shifts through the nights, through the weekends, through Christmases, multiple Christmases. So I feel like I've seen, you know, the exciting and glamorous, but also, you know, I've done a lot of the hard graft. You know, a lot of that work has kind of inspired my interest in a fair and equitable uh, media industry and my own story and experience, I guess, also set me off on creating Presspad. So yeah, my passion really now is uh, I love filmmaking and documentary. I love stories abroad, in particular, South America and the States. So before I started at the BBC and after I graduated from university, I went and lived in Chile for a year. And that was kind of how I started in journalism. I was there teaching English as a foreign language, which was kind of the way I made my money. And I decided to go to Chile rather than stay in London, partly because I wanted a break after university. I was keen to learn another language, but also I just didn't know how I was going to afford doing three, four, you know, two to four week unpaid work experiences in London. I didn't really have anyone to stay with. So bizarrely, I decided to fly to the other side of the world, which sounds weird, but actually probably was cost effective, um, which was worrying. And I, you know, I just was able to do so much more at a much younger age, you know, I was filling in for the BBC Chile correspondent. Uh, my first piece that I wrote and got paid for and didn't get a byline because it was The Economist. They just put initials. So, you know, that was fantastic. And, and then I ended up working for Reuters, the Newswire, for six months, as well as also I entered the Guardian International Development Journalism Competition and they flew me to Ecuador and all sorts of doors opened up. So that was kind of how I got into things. So international news has always been my real passion. And and then shortly after that, documentary filmmaking, issues of inequality and, and then the issues of inequality that affect our own industry. 
That sounds so incredible. The opportunity to go from place to place and looking at all these issues and learning all these new skills and pieces of information sounds a fantastic experience to me. What was it like in that way, jumping from topic to topic in your coverage? I mean, you've written about so many different and issues as you've described just now, but what is it like going from one intense topic to another and how much time do you usually have to research, uh, educate yourself on perhaps a new perspective that allows you to write with confidence and experience on these matters? Yeah, so I think, to be honest, that variety is something that I really love, but it's also something that a younger me and even a, a current me, to be honest, worries about that I don't have a niche and everybody else is going off and kind of forming specializations, you know, be it in politics or in science or whatever. And I do think, you know, one of my strengths as an individual is that I am a generalist. I do love that variety, not just of topic, but also of medium. So I'm kind of happiest if somebody says to me, oh, can you do that story? And can you do it for TV, digital video, uh, social posts, radio, and a written piece? I'm like, yes, yes. So yeah, I think it is difficult getting to grips with different topics. I do think though that that is at its core what journalists have to be able to excel at. You know, it's called the news for a reason. It's new things. <laughs> I think a lot of the time, that ability and it's really undervalued within journalism because we're all just so used to it but if you go out and you talk to people in other industries they're amazed at that ability to consume large amounts of information work out what is the most relevant work out an angle that's going to grab people's attention you know ultimately you're kind of an expert in almost the attention economy your own attention trying to distill down other people's information and I think it's an incredibly powerful thing to do that kind of management of different information in terms of how I come across different um, topics and immerse myself a lot of it is really about listening obviously you can read and do a lot of background research and that's always the first place you should start but I maybe am a bit old-fashioned in this way but I think the more that you just stop and listen and let somebody speak all the answers are there I don't necessarily believe in while you know individuals can amass a lot of great knowledge about particular areas I very much believe that the journalist is a conduit really and that you're there to give a voice and, um, and put into context the experience and the expertise of others. So I think if you ask the right questions or even ask the obvious questions sometimes and you just listen, most of the time you get all the information you need. When that's done for broadcast though, so I know you said about writing. Writing is great. Often you are working at speed, but you have maybe a little bit more time to organize your notes or to listen back to things. Often when you're working on a news channel and you've got 24-7 rolling coverage and you need to find and vet an expert or someone that's going to go live on air and get across their story and understand what it is they're going to say in a matter of minutes and brief your presenter, that whole process is ramped up and it becomes almost a kind of superpower in a way that it's sometimes hard to sort of wind back and do things more slowly. But yeah, I ultimately think it's the same set of skills, being able to listen and absorb and then, you know, present that information in the most relevant way and format, really, to the task at hand. Well, I think there's a lot of great advice in there and a lot of great insight that can be applied across different types of journalism. So you were talking about how you've filmed and produced quite a lot of documentaries and video content. How did you get into that area of journalism? So I was at university and the benefit of going to a slightly fancy university like the one I went to was that they had colleges and 
they had lots of grants and different bits of money stashed away. And at the time, as an undergrad, uh, I had a boyfriend called Patrick, and we had sort of made it our mission to discover these little pots of money that nobody was really using uh, and use it to kind of go on adventures and travel and, and make films. And so in the penultimate summer of my degree, we traveled around the Middle East and we took a tiny handy cam kind of camcorder and a separate recording device. It sounds ridiculous now, but we basically filmed two short documentaries. And in the end, you know, we did a paper edit. I mean, I don't even know, like, that sounds ridiculous nowadays. <laughs> you do do paper edits where you essentially work out the edit all on paper before you start putting a, the clips into the timeline. But we literally, I think, cut up bits of paper and put it together. And we didn't end up actually, you know, editing them into their full versions of the films. But one of the films was about a monastery high in the mountains in Syria. And it was uh, a monastery that welcomed travellers and sort of was in the Lonely Planet Guide. And so our documentary looked at the kind of tensions between the, the monastic community and then these kind of backpackers that had come along. And then the other story was about a rap group in the West Bank that were pushing the boycott movement in their music. That was really kind of where I fell in love with documentary. Prior to that, I'd kind of always wanted to be an actor or a theatre director. And then I got this camera in my hands and was out travelling, which was something that I'd always loved. And I realised, wow, these films, these scenes, these kind of slices of life that you can capture on camera, they're just even more amazing than than acting, than a play. And when you make a documentary, in essence, you are directing real life in a way. I just love that. And I love the opportunities to talk to people about issues that ordinarily you would be seen as rude or nosy or, you know, speaking out of turn. So the combination really of that artistic ability to, in a rather grandiose way, direct real life, you know, form and shape a story out of what was unfolding in real life in front of me. And then the ability to talk to people and experience cultures that otherwise I wouldn't have maybe pushed to come across. That just for me was the kind of winning combination. Since then, I did a bit of filming when I was in Chile. And then I was lucky enough to get a scholarship to go to Columbia Journalism School in New York. And there I did a semester. So yeah, that was a slightly kind of crazy start to it. But really, that was how I got into it. No, that sounds like an absolutely fantastic opportunity. There really is nothing new than just finding something that catches your eye, grabs your attention and having the opportunity to find out so much more about the subject. It's a fantastic way of living and just expanding your horizon and knowledge about this amazing world we're in. And as you say, you've been in the industry now for quite a while, working with the BBC and writing for more publications than I think we have time to name. So having seen the industry change to what it is now, what do you think are the most essential things for young journalists who are just starting their career, who are just considering journalism as an option to really know about the business and to understand for what they're getting themselves into? For young journalists now, I think in a way, the challenges are the same really in terms of access, in terms of networking, in terms of, you know, building your confidence and also building a lot of your character traits, you know, persistence, determination, joy in the work you're doing. I think it's a very different environment in terms of technology than the one that I faced. Since then, 
We've seen so many options of different platforms. You know, social media has absolutely exploded. Now you can be on every possible platform and as a self-publishing phenomenon, you know, TikTok, Instagram, your own podcasts, newsletters, etc. So I would say the opportunities are there. The technology enables that. But that still doesn't mean that there aren't other types of, of barriers. And those are kind of about networks, essentially. So one of the ways in which I guess you're trying to break down those boundaries for young journalists as well is PressPad. So can you just introduce us to it and kind of talk about how it got started, why it got started and what kind of projects you've really done with it? Sure. So PressPad started in um, early 2018 and it was really just a kind of an idea that I had really kind of putting pieces of the puzzle together, my experience and the difficulties I felt I'd faced, even from what I considered was a very privileged background in education. And then looking at my colleagues and the relative privilege, comfort, but also the real interest and desire to kind of continue to mentor young journalists and help evolve our industry in in a positive direction. There's a lot of different ways that journalism can improve, but a, a particular focus has been on diversity of the people telling the stories. And as a result, the types of stories that are told and the ways that our audiences respond to them. I came up with this sort of host mentorship scheme, what we now call Airbnb meets LinkedIn. And we just started a pilot. We managed to host 50 interns over the course of the next 18 months. Since then, the project has kind of evolved. It was very much an experiment that I just set out doing and and was able to kind of bring some fantastic people with me along the way, in particular, my co-founder, Laura Garcia. During lockdown, we have started to look at creating a web platform that will enable what we did in the pilot using endless Excel spreadsheets and WhatsApp messages and groups, trying to take all of that and really streamline and scale the the help that we can provide. So we were at the stage where we'd actually just been incredibly lucky to get a sort of decent um, grant from the Department for Culture, Sports and Media. And we just got that money and I thought, oh, this is brilliant, we can build our platform, fantastic. And that was our plan. And then COVID. The grant providers wanted us to obviously respond to what was happening and we created PressPad Remote, uh, which now, to be honest, just sounds totally run of the mill. But I promised back in mid-April, the team that I had at the time were just incredibly quick to respond. And we were able to provide three and a half months of webinar training uh, remote speed network sessions, one-on-one CV and pitch clinics, and Instagram Q&As. We reached around 7,800 people. That was great. Um, and we were just really, really pleased that we were able to respond in that way, thanks to the grant and, you know, to be there at that time, which was pretty bewildering and isolating, I think, for a lot of people. But in particular, those who are starting their careers do think it was a very difficult time with a great amount of uncertainty and having that community and those activities, you know, that you could attend and focus on, we've been told by those who attended was really helpful. So that's where we started with and that's now where we're at. And at the moment, we're crowdfunding to be able to continue this program. And we're hoping that we can raise enough with some additional match funding to take our program through to mid-June. But after the pandemic will come the recession. And I think that will be as difficult and challenging for young journalists. I think that's a fantastic answer in detailing exactly what you do and how PressPad's been able to give so much fantastic resources and opportunities to 
just young starting journalists in the industry now. I think both Sophie and I definitely took advantage of the women and content that you were producing over the summer. We'll talk more about that, of course, but I'd like to pick you up on this point about the difficulties faced by journalists coming into this field due to the COVID pandemic. Obviously, so many internships being cancelled, and that's horrific. Do you think that the pandemic has not only created a whole bunch of new problems, but also revealed the major problems within the industry of journalism as a whole? And do you think it'll be possible to either resolve or push through them? Um, I think there's sort of maybe two answers or two questions in your question. And that's, you know, the, the situation that younger journalists will find entering the industry and then the way that the industry has been able to respond. As with many different areas of life, it's, and you hear it over and over again on the radio or in interviews online, it feels like the pandemic has accelerated some of the trends that were already in existence. So the downsides of that to the industry at large, I think, involve ability to create sustainable business models and the ability to manage issues like disinformation and multiple kind of social media channels, which are all, to be honest, connected with that same kind of sustainability. So I think there's that that's going on. And then I also think that there's, in a way, individual challenges for younger journalists, but the two are connected. So anytime there is a recession, you'll see staff cuts in newsrooms. Then you have a market that is flooded with quite experienced journalists that if they're not retiring, are looking for freelance work or other gigs. You then also see freelance budgets getting cut and so on and so forth. It's a kind of domino effect. And I think what I'm most worried about for younger journalists is just the availability of work and of opportunities within what is already and has been for some time a kind of slowly shrinking industry. It was predicted and has kind of been lamented quite a while in in journalism. And there's a lot of doom mongering and I don't think it's ever nearly as bad. And I think that the resilience of the news industry is greater than probably all of those doomsayers can predict, especially when you know, we're living in quite uncertain and volatile times, people do turn to news for that information and reassurance. But I do think that there is going to be a reckoning. So yeah, so I think, obviously, with COVID and a recession, you will get a knock on effect, where younger journalists end up somewhat at the bottom of the pile because of all sorts of other scarcity within the industry. But actually, I'm really encouraged to see the entrepreneurial spirit of young journalists and how, you know, they're creating opportunities for themselves. And this can be commercial. In fact, I think um, there was even a rather heated debate about it last night on Twitter, talking about whether young journalists should work for free in order to get experience and to grow and develop their craft, or whether that just devalues, you know, the work of journalists in general, because then publications perhaps can ask younger and younger journalists to do more and more, and it just shifts the dial on the sort of value of people's time and and work in, in general. And it's a really difficult one and really nuanced. I think where I come at it from, there's a balance to be had. And I think there has to be a difference seen between publications that are run and driven by young people and which many have pointed out, for example, Beth, uh, the founder of The Independent, which is one of these sorts of publications that essentially works as a kind of group portfolio almost, where everybody can come together and get published and get support and get edited by their peers. Those sorts of projects, you know, have great value in and of themselves, not just in providing opportunities for their peers, but also those that run it, the 
the business sense, the understanding that the tech and audience awareness, all of these other elements that you might not get just being a writer or a producer or a journalist employed bigger organizations. So I do think there's value to be had there. You know, on the other hand, obviously, if you've got large, large organizations that are not paying people and there's all sorts of terrible practices that go on within the industry at large and in particular treatment of freelancers. And I think when you get into that sphere of the professional large kind of <laughs> really big money making ventures that that kind of exploitation, you know, really can't fly. I do think writing for free, obviously, and all these volunteer-led publications also increase the accessibility of journalism a lot, because this means people can start working on their career whilst they're students, whilst they're still in other roles. So Presspad's obviously done quite a lot around diversifying the industry. What have you kind of learned from that campaign and what can employers and people working in the industry learn from that campaign and do to help people trying to get into journalism? So I think, you know, in in terms of what Presspad's done, we really believe in a coalition approach uh, when it comes to improving diversity. And, you know, we see ourselves kind of standing shoulder to shoulder with many other great organizations that are working in this space. Journal Resources, Second Source, the John Schofield Trust, just to name a few. And I think for us, the Diversify the Media campaign, you know, really actually took me by surprise. Statistics that we had managed to unearth and put it out there on the stage within our kind of niche industry. And so I think it was quite powerful for that reason. You know, the other thing that's worth saying is that within this coalition setting that I see Presspad as belonging to, we are really, really concerned to make sure that we're only doing and focusing on the area that we can kind of make the biggest impact. So for us, that is the socioeconomic kind of financial background diversity and the geographic access. And for me, that's Presspad Remote, which was really a kind of almost knee-jerk, sudden response to wanting to support firing journalists who don't necessarily need to be young. Uh, I always make that point. Um, it was a kind of knee-jerk reaction to, to giving them uh, some support during COVID, but it also really chimes with our kind of desire to remove those hidden, you know, invisible barriers, the financial and the geographic. And so for us, we see Presspad Remote and our current crowdfunder as an extension of what we did last year. On the one hand, nobody wants to have to go back and ask the community, you know, for more money. And the last campaign we did, I swore that would be the first and the last, and that was all we would need. But as so many people have heard these words pass their lips, and then COVID, uh, and so that's why we've come back to that. But we, you know, we do feel very strongly that we're looking at the same issues and we're looking at issues that honestly, um, other organizations aren't. And that's not to shame them or to, you know, tell them to do anything other than what they're doing. We think kind of together as this almost patchwork quilt of organizations, we can kind of stop all the different gaps in our own ways. So yeah, I think Impresspad has tried to do as much as we can in our own small way to highlight this issue in a broad sense, but then also to be really committed in a very focused niche sense on our host mentorship scheme, which we have developed in terms of thinking and in terms of building and designing a, a marketplace a website that we can then use to match hosts and uh, interns, you know, at a greater scale and, and with greater ease. 
The website will allow us to monetize Presspad, which was a bit controversial after our initial crowdfunder, as our thinking has been developing in terms of moving towards a sort of sustainable future for Presspad as, as a project. But it is really important, and it's something that I've stressed always, that diversity should not be charitable. Diversity is inextricably linked with recruitment, HR, you know, decent working practices and equal opportunities. And that should have a budget line in every single organization's annual spending. So for us, it was important to put a value on, you know, finding and enabling the right kind of talent, find its way into into the media industry and to put those costs overwhelmingly on media organizations who are often the ones who are on the receiving end of criticism about lack of diversity. But Rightly so, because they're the ones that have the buying power and the ability to hire and fire and to, and to make changes that will shape what British media and journalism looks like, who gets to be a part of that. So that's what we've been doing kind of in between our first campaign and this current campaign. But our mission and our uh, commitment and dedication, regardless of COVID, is unwavering and, and still the same. And we've got some really exciting things that as a result of what I hope, fingers crossed, will be a successful campaign this time around, will be a, a full programme of continuing support in 2021. So you've started talking about the current fundraiser campaign that you've organised for Presspad, which Sophie and I have had the absolute pleasure of donating to already. Uh, can you tell us more about that? What the goals are that you're hoping to achieve with the money that you raised and how people can donate and help you out? Sure. So I, I think this will be airing on Friday. We're recording earlier in the week, obviously. So about the 60% mark right now, I hope by the time you read, we will have progressed from that. And the overall target is 15,000. We're crowdfunding again on crowdfunder.co.uk. So um, if you just were to type in press pad and crowdfunder.co.uk, it would pop up. Um, or you can just go on any of our social media and <laughs> you'll pretty much find our pink crowdfunder pass it on branding emblazoned over over all of our socials and you can donate there and what you'd be donating towards is a second season of that COVID support for young journalists. We uh, are crowdfunding because we want to keep this program entirely free. Uh, I know a lot of fantastic organizations and freelancers are providing their own webinars you know which because they themselves have to earn a living they're charging very reasonable rates many of them um, really really um, laudably are also offering options and scholarship or bursary places for those who can't afford so it's really really heartwarming to see that but for Presspad and our ethos and our kind of DNA all of our activities will be free so we'll be offering a huge array of activities um, We'll have a weekly webinar, which will be a kind of deep dive into an area or a topic that may be data journalism, that may be uh, freedom of information. It could be as part of uh, a series that we're, we're putting together right now on inclusive reporting. So how to report sensitively about disability and involve journalists with disability in the coverage of their own stories. So that's one element. We'll be having two sessions, a kind of what we call a water cooler catch up. So these are just kind of peer networking uh, twice a week, kind of mental health check in times when you can be connecting with others and networking, but not working per se. You can just check in with in a kind of more face to face albeit via Zoom way, we will be continuing with our CV and pitch clinics and be expanding those to kind of call them more broadly kind of career clinics. So we'll also be happy to look over job applications, cover letters, anything that you want a second set of eyes on, we will help with. And we're looking to recruit more of our senior journalists to help give that advice and, and, and look over those. And we're also going to be doing our 
really popular lunchtime Instagram Q&A series with journalists that just want to tell you a bit about their careers, how they got there, and just make themselves accessible to you. Uh, and another addition, which we hope to add to the lineup, is a weekly pitch workshop session with commissioning editors. So it's been great to see through social media so many editors, you know, being accessible, telling the Twitter sphere uh, and uh, everyone online what kind of pitches they want to receive um, but we want to take that a little step further so that those who maybe still are not sure about how to pitch or even just want advice on the best way of approaching somebody that they can just have that group session and get a kind of two-way dialogue going which we hope might kind of kickstart some some relationships because we know how important it is as a young journalist to find editors that can develop you and that can be responsive and accessible. That all sounds amazing and like it would be an incredible help to so many young journalists. I know Misha and I have taken advantage of the opportunities that PressPad has provided in the past. I make a slightly cringy appearance in the crowdfunding video as well, actually. And we do. We're very grateful for that. <laughs> no worries. And yeah, we've done our bit. So now it's your turn. You know, even if you just chair the fundraiser, that's still a great help and will really enable so many people to make use of the great offering that PressPad has. Just before the end of this episode, Olivia, have you got any last tips for young journalists in terms of building their career, engaging with resources like PressPad or anything like that? So I guess my takeaway would be coming up to the end of 2020 and it's been a hell of a year. And I think, you know, there are now a lot of different resources out there i guess my main point would be you're not alone there are you know so many other fellow journalists whether you're networking or, or being supported and you know um, making friends really with them online as part of twitter groups or, or the young journalist community on facebook i just really encourage you all to spend the time to find those supports because while the industry has a long way to go on an individual level and within many organizations, there is a great thirst to do the right thing and to, you know, make uh, journalism more accessible, more fair, more diverse. It's uh, sort of one of those things, you know, knock and um, you, you, you will get an answer. You might have to knock a few times. You know, persistence is always an, an element, a core element of journalism, but there is that help out there. So I'd say, you know, be assured of that. If you ever need anything from us, our DMs are always open. Uh, and then the second thing I'd say is take a break over Christmas. It's really hard. I find it difficult. But I think moving into 2021, the challenges will be similar, in some ways, perhaps more difficult, but they will they will still be there. And um, we're going to have a tough time as an industry, as individuals, as a country, as a world <laughs> for a while to come. And I just think given the chance um, in the holiday season for everybody to take a step back and kind of reflect, give yourself that break because you need to take those wherever and, and um, however you can. So, so yeah, uh, happy Christmas from PressPad. Thank you. That's definitely a lot of great advice that we should probably all take to heart. Where can our listeners find you and PressPad on social media? So you can find us at PressPad UK on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. Our handle is at PressPad UK everywhere on social. Um, you can find information about us and our schemes and how we work and our story uh, at www.presspad.co.uk. And 
you're also more than welcome to just approach me directly. Best way is usually Twitter. So I'm at Olivia Crellin. And yeah, um, we're, we're always here to help you guys. Uh, we're open always to collaborations and anything we can do, we will try to. Uh, we've got some really exciting things coming up in 2021. So, you know, keep engaging with us, keep challenging us, keep asking things of us, and we will do our best to, to respond and to step up. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we're so excited both for ourselves and for the industry as a whole for the amazing work that you're going to be doing in 2021. Thank you to everyone for listening to this week's episode. As always, if you like the show, feel free to give it a review and a rating. And you can follow us to hear all about the exciting upcoming work we'll be doing on Twitter and Instagram. Simply search for Views Our Own. Thank you for listening and we'll be back next week. Take care.